You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue and Sean Fitz with you. Once more, and we got the NFL draft to focus in on to start off today's show. We'll also look at this roster coming out of spring ball. Um, Who did we kind of miss in on scene during the spring that we still have questions about and how they may fit in and who is still showing up to campus and adding to this roster? A couple of dynamics that we didn't really address coming out of spring ball in the last episode. And we've got some recruiting news to hit on. Is Penn State on commitment watch? Uh, That may be addressed in our in our five star mailbag. Uh, We'll start with the NFL draft Thursday night, eight o'clock. We're recording here on a Wednesday, trying to get this one up as soon as possible to give our listeners a chance to hear this before the draft actually happens. And it spoils all of our prediction fun. Uh, But as usual, our annual throw the dart at the board and try to figure out where Penn State guys are going to go. Well, I think it's important to note that we are recording on a Wednesday. So if there's a, you know, a last minute trade or something that happens on a, on Wednesday night or Thursday, early Thursday morning, you know, it, we're out of luck. I'm sorry, but uh, we want to get this up because Penn State might have a couple first rounders. So that's not something we have run across in the last couple of years where this might be outdated by the time the uh, the end of the first day rolls around. So we're going to try and get it up uh, as early for you on Thursday as possible. That way we can talk Parsons, Oway, all these guys and figuring out try, or trying to figure out where they're going to land as they, uh, they attempt to become one of the more successful uh, uh, draft classes under James Franklin. Fitz just said it's been a long time uh, since Penn State has produced multiple first round picks. 2003, to be precise, that's when four guys went in round one from Happy Valley. Jimmy Kennedy, Michael Haynes, Bryant Johnson, and Larry Johnson. Now you're looking at Micah Parsons as a slam dunk first round pick, um, looking to become the first Nittany Lion on defense to become a first round pick since Jared Odrick back in 2010, which is a significant span. Um, Sean, the question now is how high will Micah Parsons rise or how low may he fall um you you depending on who you're looking at for your mock drafts and you got plenty of options right now this week you see Micah Parsons going anywhere from number seven and then all the way down uh you know deep into the 20s in, in some particular cases so um one thing we know is he's going in the first round we don't know if he's going to become the first Penn State top 10 pick on defense since 2000 which is when Courtney Brown LeVar Arrington, back-to-back off the board. Arrington, of course, has been a mentor for Micah Parsons during the last few years. Yeah, there's plenty of mocks around. I think we're going to go through ours and what we have up on the site. Um, it's it, it's it's interesting with Parsons because it's, uh, you know, there's different degrees of, I guess, polarity here when you're talking about each of these guys for, from Penn State's draft class because, you know, you're looking, as we get to Shaka Tony, you're looking at a, a number of rounds. If you're looking at Micah Parsons, you're looking at a number of picks. And if you kind of zoom in on them, you know, it's kind of, it, it's not really a consensus uh, consensus anywhere. Um, those off-field questions have surrounded Micah Parsons. They haven't really been made clear what people are hesitant about, but I think it's pretty clear that some teams are pushing this a little bit harder than others. Maybe that uh, hurts him and, and slides a little bit. Maybe it actually helps him because these teams are the ones that put that are putting this out there uh, with ulterior motives that they want to get him maybe at a value slot. I think he's at about um, the over-under, I think, at 11 and a half um, for his draft slot. Um, I have him going at number 17 to the Raiders. Um, I think that he could slide this far, even though many believe that he could be the best defensive player in the draft. Um, there there are questions about you know his development sitting out 2020, maybe not going to ding him from a character standpoint, but I think it could, you know, from an evaluation standpoint, you would have liked to see him out there, like to see him make that stride from the Cotton Bowl and the Cotton Bowl is a phenomenal performance, no doubt about it. Um, But, you know, he wasn't exactly the most, the model of consistency as a sophomore back in 2019. So I think that that's probably the biggest question when you're talking about opting out, you could have used another season of film on him, another season of how he developed. There's no questioning the talent. There's, I mean, he's one of the most naturally gifted um, players in this draft on either side of the ball. Um, But I think there's, there's certainly uh, concern there with some teams about uh, taking into account the off field issues, taking into account, opting out and not getting that tape. So I think it's something where he's probably a top 10 talent, maybe not going to hang around or maybe not going to be a guy that 
goes at his, uh, I guess, projected level. Yeah, a guy that maybe you look at three, four year down the line when those second contracts are being awarded and, and these guys are coming up on their option years where you kind of wonder, wow, how many, how did so many teams pass on that guy? And you got to be kind of reminded of the dynamics that were in play leading up to the draft. But you said something interesting there is, you know, what's the motivation for some franchises to maybe make sure this is a, a consistent part of the narrative? We know right now narrative perception it's all over the place with the NFL draft this, this is like an annual soap opera and and we love it and we buy into it and we follow all the coverage until we find out who actually gets picked and you know you, you wonder you got a guy like uh you know New York Giants general manager Dave Gettleman who's you know kind of putting it out there publicly about you know how much do you ding these opt-out players what's the concerns with some of them physically uh, fundamentally um and then you you're going to go see Gettleman end up drafting Mark, Micah Parsons which I which I was very close to actually projecting myself um you know, you could see something like that you never know what to believe guys are talking about out of both ends of their mouth um depending on who they're speaking with Parsons himself you look back at the trajectory he was at as a sophomore it just felt like literally every game, Sean, we saw Micah Parsons expand that arsenal, become more of that complete player that that, and just impacting the game, imposing himself and truly ch- turning the tide of the outcome like he did at the Cotton Bowl. You know, reminded of where him and Journey Brown both were coming out of December 2019. Never saw either of them play again at Penn State. Um, and, and I can only imagine here, Sean, that with Micah Parsons, we will continue to see growth. Uh, if he is entrenched at a linebacker spot and, and asked to be a foundational piece of a defense, I'm excited to watch him because he was not even close to a finished product at this position at that point in his career. And he was already big 10 linebacker of the year and a consensus all American. I think that just says so much. Yeah. And I think that really, when you take a look at where he's slotted in here and I think, uh, I forget, where did you say you had him going? Sorry. Yeah. I, I I'm actually, got, I've got him coming off the board inside that top 10, number nine to the Denver Broncos. You referenced the Von Miller comparisons and, and, and your note that I referenced that here, that's always the guy that watching him at Harrisburg kind of draw my attention toward a Von Miller at Denver. It's kind of a, a upcoming changing of the guard. Maybe if they go that route, you do wonder about Denver, the quarterback spot, but I feel like Parsons probably caps out as terms of potential, Maybe number seven to the Lions. I don't think that happens. And then I look from there to the Broncos and then that run on NFC East teams. You got the Cowboys where Mark Brennan has them going. I could see the Giants making that move. You got Sean Spencer as someone in the room there as well. And then beyond that, the Philadelphia Eagles um, certainly would seem like, like a strong choice for them at that stage of the draft. So I feel like he comes off the board before he gets to the Raiders at 17. Uh, but but if, he, if he gets much further than the Raiders, Sean, I'm going to be scratching my head in here. Yeah, well, I mean, I, obviously the talent is undeniable. By the way, I think the Broncos would would love another Von Miller. Um, so I, I can see where your pick is coming from. I think I referenced them as well. The Eagles, uh, the Raiders just seem like a fit. It just seems like John Gruden seems like one of those guys where if he's there and they certainly have other needs all over the place for the Raiders, but if he's there, why not take him? And, and I kind of think that's a fit right there. So, um, yeah, I think it's more about the position. I think it's more about the people around him. Obviously, the, the buzz going into this draft is – those quarterbacks at the top of the board and how that's going to trickle down to, to other positions. Linebacker, obviously not a premium position um, or else you'd, you'd see him going, you know, in the, in the conversation, top five, top 10. So I think that that's probably middle of round one is probably what you're hearing the most at this point. And, you know, there's a number of teams that certainly could use him because, you know, you could always use a linebacker that moves like that. And there's just no defenders going early. We got a note here. They're expecting quarterbacks to fly off the board, you know, one, two, three, maybe a fourth in the top five. That's going to push everybody down a bit. Linebacker is already a position that you don't see a lot of emphasis placed there in the top 10 kind of range. But Parsons in this draft, he could end up at number 17 or number 15 and be the the second or third defender off the board the way this is shaping up with the quarterbacks, uh, with the the offensive linemen, and and really with the pass targets. That's a big story as well at the top of this draft. But it's about defense here for for us on on the Penn State beat looking at the first round because Jason Owe – the other name that has been mentioned as a first round prospect, Sean, right on that edge. And, and, and we're both we're both sitting on the edge. We've got him going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at number 32 to finish off the first round. We both referenced the word luxury because the Buccaneers are bringing back uh, more of their components of, from a Super Bowl winning team than anybody in really modern NFL history. Think, you know, where can you add a little weapon, a situational weapon there? And, and to me, Jason Away kind of fits that bill. 
you're going to eventually have to, to cut loose or lose some of those high-end, high-priced defensive linemen that the Bucks have or edge guys away can be a cheaper replacement in 2022, 2023 as his career continues. If you listen to this podcast for any kind of duration, you know I've been high for Jason uh, on Jason away for a long time. No. Um, <laughs> and, and, and yes, I am a Buccaneers fan, um, but I, I just find myself settling on this spot. And to me, Jason is a guy that maybe he is the stunning guy who goes in the top 20 that people weren't expecting. At the same time, maybe he slips into day one, maybe he slips toward 40. There's just such a pendulum, a, a, a range here for how this thing could swing for away because of uh, because of everything. The zero in the sack sheet, the numbers that he produced at Pro Day, the lack of experience that we've documented, him being a, a basketball kid turned football guy. I mean, there's there's a lot to work with, but you you need to be a confident general manager to make this selection. We we know his background. Thanks to you, Tyler. We know his background, so we appreciate that. Um, but I thought I had you with this one. I know you're a Bucks fan. I know you're a Jason Away fan. I thought I had you with this one. Then I got the email from you with all these picks in, and you had it too. And I was really really disappointed by that. But I I agree with <laughs> you in that number. Well, first, before this, with Oway talk to some NFL people this week. They think he's going to go in the first round. Uh, I know that this is the 32, the 32nd pick, the uh, last pick in the first round. So kind of covers our base there, but at the same time, yeah, I could see this guy being one of those, you know, one of those teams just falls in love with him with in love with him in the upper teens. And I'm looking at the pick that I have with, uh, with Micah Parsons with the Raiders. And I'm like, Oh, maybe Gruden would like him too. So Mm. um, that, that's certainly a wild card in this, the Colts, I think are at 21. That's an interesting fit right there. But I think honestly for both sides, for the Buccaneers and for OA, this would be fantastic. Uh, You got Jason Pierre, Paul, obviously winding down his career. I think he's under contract for one more season. Uh, You know, if you can learn behind a guy like that, that's been in the league for a long, long time, you're not going to be asked to come in and start. You're not going to be asked to come in and and make an impact right away. It's kind of a perfect fit. Now I could see the Buccaneers. I don't think any of those quarterbacks will fall to him, uh, to them at 32, see a running back maybe a possibility here but i think it's a it's a great fit um we know that they love their their athletes they love their penn staters there with the buccaneers and that's something that i think we'll get to at some other uh some other picks along the way here but uh i think it's just it, it's almost too perfect right there the question is does he last that long wherever jason lands i will be sure to lock in on on that beats coverage of his addition to the team this weekend i'll forward you every story that details his background and his athleticism just so you stay updated on what people are learning about his background um i'll take that upon you're gonna, myself you're gonna hit the circuit next week and, and do all these <laughs> interviews about him and you'll be wearing your personalized buccaneers jersey when you do so so that's good yeah well let's move on to pat fryermuth uh, uh, a guy who we who we both like and and we both uh, enjoy talking to on the podcast here just about 5 6 weeks ago as he was uh, kind of winding down his training for pro day not a full participant there not a full participant in 2020 um, but but we we both don't have him lasting very long on Saturday. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. On Friday now is day two. We don't have him lasting long, Sean. You've got him coming off the board, pick number seven of round two, uh, joining former Penn State linebacker Matt Rule with the Carolina Panthers, and Yitor Grossmanos was the second round pick last year, and and I've got him. I, I'm not. I I bought in on it. Going to send him to Tyler Bowen and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Put a bow on top. That you know that that's that's where I'm gonna go. I've settled on it. Uh, number four pick for the Jags on the day at number 46. I think that they're they'll get to the point where you know you're looking for pieces to to put around Trevor Lawrence. Pat Fryermuth pops up. I don't know if it happens, but it's one that I'm kind of trying to speak into existence for my own personal interest. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, obviously Bowen loves him. He loved coaching him at Penn State and has great things to say about him. And maybe part of him is is secretly hoping that he falls that low. I don't and Urban know. Meyer knows him too. I mean, Earth. Urban Meyer is very familiar with him too. I mean, you just look at him and he's, he seems like one of the safest. And I say, I know we say that about guys that don't make it every year, uh, but he seems like one of the safest guys in the draft. Um, and, and that's not saying that he's a, a low ceiling guy or anything like that. But I mean, he's, to me, he's like a potential Jason Witten. He's a guy that can be in the league for a long, long time. He can catch a lot of balls, be consistent as as everything, and he's got he's got a lot of talent. Now, I think mm-hmm. uh, not being able to work out at pro day and things like that, you'll have questions about speed and 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 other attributes there. But I think there's enough tape on him. There's enough uh, res- the, the results are there. Obviously, he's always been a a very skilled football player. I I have him going to the Panthers there at 39. Um, they haven't had a ton of uh, 
uh, of contributions from their tight ends. I think Ian Thomas had 20 catches for them leading the way last year. I think they signed Dan Arnold for the, the Cardinals. So, um, you know, it might be a little bit more crowded there, but at the same time, you're potentially taking a starter with the, the 39th overall pick and a guy that could start for you from a long time. That's a very logical pick, and that seems like what Matt Rule likes to do. Um, obviously, Joe Brady is the offensive coordinator there. Now, they did not overlap during their time it's times at Penn State, but I'm sure Joe Brady has enough mutual acquaintances that will vouch for Pat in terms of what he can bring to the table as a pro tight end. So I just think this one makes a lot of sense, and and Rule likes Penn State guys. Rule likes uh, you know solid, dependable guys, and he's got a new quarterback there at Sam, with Sam Darnold. And might, might as well give him another weapon. I think I think with Fryermuth to the Jacksonville Jaguars, it's not just a, a cool connection there. The Jaguars need a tight end, but and you you mentioned this, the Jaguars need a lot. There's a reason that they're hitting the reset button at, for their franchise right now. You don't know how they're going to prioritize positional needs. You don't know how that board will be stacked up. But I do know Pat Fryermuth will be looking at looked at very favorably by that staff, and um, I'll stick with him going at 45. Now, now Brennan, by the way, who had Jason Oway going number 30 to the Buffalo Bills, a couple picks ahead of you and I. Uh, he's got Pat you know, falling into the third round and, and he's talking about the 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 coming off an injury and how that kind of has has put him off the field a bit and not able to showcase everything. He's got him going to to Philadelphia Eagles at pick number six in the third round, number 70 and and giving them uh, an opportunity to move on from from highly paid Zach Ertz and maybe trade him or jettison him and turn to Pat Fryermuth and Dallas Goddard there. I, I would love the fit if I was a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I wouldn't be sitting there with my fingers crossed that Pat Frymuth is making it all the way to number 70, or that to me is going to be among the, the steals of day two in this draft. Mark's our residential Eagles homer. So that's, uh, <laughs> that may have had something to do with that pick, but I mean, if you can get him in the third round, heck man, that's, wow. that would be, that would be some mega value right there for a guy that I think is going to be in the league for a long time. Another player who has has popped up with differing opinions, and 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 if you look at seven round mock drafts, he's all over the place. There, um, I don't look at many of them. Um, I did a little bit to help with this, and and I'm at the higher end when it comes to Shaka Tony, Sean. Um, I've got Tony going in round four. Um, at uh, I'm sorry, I've got Tony going yeah round four uh, to the uh, hold on, I'm, Carolina Panthers. I've got everybody's list ahead of me right now. Um, Pick number eight in round four. So I've got him coming off the board very early Saturday. Um, Matt Rule, again, bringing in a Penn State defensive end, a Penn State edge rusher here. Is he an outside linebacker? Is he a defensive end? Is he enough of either one of those things to, to carve out a lengthy career in the league? Uh, you know, you got a lot to figure out with Shaka Tony. But to me, we've always heard as he was going through his physical maturation process at Penn State, whether it was John Scott, James Franklin, Sean Spencer, the the feedback on Chakatoni is is he is such a tremendously intelligent football player absorbs the things you put his way and then helps facilitate that to the other guys in the defensive line room I think that is a boost for him I think that's something that's probably reflected well on him during the interviews and, and more intimate engagements with NFL decision makers you know you combine that with the athleticism and, and you know the projection production trajectory during his career playing a lot of Big Ten football it it was upward 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 so. To me, uh, he's a guy that I have in the fourth round. You and Mark both have him in round five, and you've you know you see him fall to six, seven in some instances when you look around you know these mock drafts. Yeah, I was all over the place on Tony. To be honest with you, I think I had him in the sixth at one point, and I looked at the the Falcons draft, and they have a, a just a little bank of picks there late in the fifth round. I believe this is more on that in a moment. Yeah, I believe that's a compensatory <laughs> selection. Round five, pick 39, 183 overall. I'm not sure where Mark has him, but I mean, he, he can bring something to your team. I mean, he's not going to shake the tweener label. I don't think that's ever going to go away. Um, the size is not uh, ideal, but the athleticism is there. He showed that he can really move. Um, there's going to be questions about whether he's a 3-4 outside backer or is a 4-3 end. I don't know. Um, you know, what is the ideal slot for him? But, uh, you know, I think he can make your team better. Special teams, again, you mentioned the uh, the football acumen. There's a lot going for for Shaka right now. So uh, he was all over the board. I decided to put him late in the fifth round just because I think we tend to, covering, you know, these, this team, we tend to uh, overrate draft prospects at times. So I was a little bit more conservative than you were uh, by slotting him late in the fifth. But I think the Falcons another one of those teams at the top of the draft that that have needs all over the place and edge rusher is certainly something that you you can never have enough of 
And Mark has him going around five, pick five to the Cincinnati Bengals. So uh, in, a, in a similar ballpark. And um, by the way, the way I was just describing Shaka Tony, I feel like I should have went with Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots grabbing him. Um, kind of want to redo on there, but I'll stick with the Carolina Panthers. Um, and, elsewhere, and, and, but Before that? we get, I mean, the, the yeah. thing about Tony is the production has, has been there. And that's exactly. something obviously you could, couldn't say for a way in terms of consistent production. So I think that'll help. Shock in the long run, uh, tons of like there. He got better every year. Uh, definitely uh, got, was so much better against the run by the end of his career and had himself a, a really good career at Penn State. So um, I'm anxious to see where he falls. Probably more intrigued with where Tony falls than anybody else in this draft, just because I think there's just such a wide spray of of where he could end up. Curious to hear where he lands. And then when that general manager or head coach or whoever steps up and evaluates their draft class, What's their initial plan for Shaka Tony, or do they mention multiple positions? Because usually you'll kind of hear a rundown of these guys. Be curious to see what the, what the early plan for his professional career looks like. Um, when, when you get beyond those four guys, Pat Fryerman, Shaka Tony, Micah Parsons, Jason Away, who we have a really strong feeling they're all going to hear their names called during this draft process. Um, then it gets a little bit trickier, Sean, and, and we're a bit of a mixed bag here. You've got Michael Mennett and, and Will Fries on the offensive line. You've got Lamont Wade uh, coming out of Penn State after two years as a starting safety. We all are in consensus that Mennett gets picked. We're a little bit uh, around, uh, bouncing around in that. I've got him going to the Atlanta Falcons uh, very early in round six. You mentioned that kind of uh, cluster of picks they have. It's three picks in a seven-pick span. I'm like, this seems like a range he could go in. And if I'm kind of going to be competitive here with with Mark and Sean, might as well pick a, a team that's right there a lot. Now, you brought it to my attention that Atlanta invested a draft pick in a center last year, which maybe puts a damper on my outlook there. Uh, but I've got him, and, and then you've got him a, a bit later in round six. I've got him uh, round six, pick 37. It's 221. Uh, I forget off the top of my head if this is a compensatory selection, which means it could not be traded. That that goes to the Bears. Um, the Bears, obviously, you know, are looking for help on the offensive line. He's a guy that can give you uh, a, a snapper there playing center. He could also play guard a little bit. Athletic guy. I don't think we saw the the best version of him over the last year he had a, had some injury troubles that he was dealing with so um, I think he's he's getting beyond that and and somebody could get some value here with men and mm-hmm. I think he can be a guy that maybe you stash on a practice squad for a year get him into um, the the system get him into everything that you want in it from a from a physical standpoint, but uh, he's got some talent there. He's got athleticism. Um, he's got really, really great feet. And he's got a ton of experience. So there's a lot to like there. I know he's, um, you know, kind of all over the board in terms of uh, what I've seen on mocks online. And I, I, again, I haven't followed them uh, just like you. I really haven't followed them, but to do these, I, you know, did a little Google search and he was anywhere from four to seven. So I settled in late sixth um, just because, you know, the, the size isn't ideal. The athleticism's there. Um, the experience is there, but the size is not uh, not the greatest thing he has going for him. Didn't get to work out at pro day. Um, had, again, had some injury stuff cleared up that, that he needed to get cleared up. But I believe he went out to Indy and did the physicals and things like that. And, and if that clears, I think he's he's got a shot to uh, to get drafted late. A three-year starter was Michael Mennett and, and remains the top-rated offensive lineman to sign with Penn State when you look at the prospect rankings. And by the way, Sean, uh, Mennett going uh, right in the same ballpark, number 217 overall to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Mark Brennan's uh, predictions here. He's got uh, Mennett filling that backup center role that, that was filled by A.Q. Shipley prior to an injury last year uh, with Tampa Bay. So um, Bucks get mentioned again in the breakdown. And then we're split on, on the remaining two here. Well, you're pretty much cut and dried. Uh, you've got no more players getting drafted from Penn State. You have it as a five-man class. I have Lamont Wade going in round seven. Um, I, I have him going, uh, let's see how far down, 240 overall. So pick 12 of round seven to the Philadelphia Eagles. And look, Lamont Wade has faced scrutiny at Penn State. Um He's faced scrutiny here on the podcast, and that's going to come with his territory as arriving with with a lot of excitement as a prospect and rolling early. I mentioned this before. Kid was on the cover of of the the university's newspaper for the first spring game of his career as an early enrollee. So there was a lot of noise about this kid. And then uh, as as he developed into a young man, it it wasn't always of the positive variety. And he had some struggles at cornerback, moved to safety. I think that was a transition that weighed on him. And by the time he emerged as a safety a couple of years later, 
I thought he was playing solid at safety last year where, where he was becoming a guy you pointed to as, as a problem for this defense was when he was in that slot coverage in that nickel role. Um, and, and, and once they kind of sorted things out there, let him just kind of hang back at safety. That was probably the best we saw on defense, but it isn't really about defense to me, Sean. I think if he's going to carve a path to the NFL, it's about what he can do in special teams coverage and what he can maybe do as a special teams kickoff returner. I wish that's something maybe we had seen a little bit more from him during his days on campus. I felt like he validated, um, you know, that usage late in his senior year. And, and it, you know, I'm curious what we would have seen if we had a, a larger sample size there, but I've got a seventh round flyer for the Philadelphia Eagles here. Um, you know, kind of consider that in with, with, with a guy like Nick Scott a couple of years ago that I don't think we, we thought he was going to get drafted. Rams got him in round seven and, and he's still on that Rams roster. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, you just earn your spot and you can go from there and, and hopefully Lamont can, can go in the draft and can, can carve out a role somewhere. I agree with you with the special teams. That's obviously going to be how he makes his money at the next level. And, you know, maybe he's, I don't know if he's a return guy at the next level, but, you know, he, he certainly showed the the best of what he brought to the table by the end of his career as a return man. Um, I, I think because of the positions that he plays, you know, that uh, safety hybrid, maybe nickel, whatever. Um, I feel like there's a lot of guys that are kind of in that, on that bubble right there at that position, which is why I actually lean toward Will Fries being the, the guy that would be drafted out of those two. I don't know if you uh, introed Fries at all, but uh, I think Mark I has him going oh, undrafted. No, I did not. I'm sorry. I, I have him going undrafted. I kind of thought about this one because he's got size. He's got athleticism. He's played a ton of football. There's a lot, th- a lot of things going for him. The argument I had in my head was, hey, Ryan Bates went undrafted a couple of years ago. I think Ryan Bates was a better player. Um, so, you know, you've got some versatility there. He played guard. He played tackle. So there's a lot to like with Will Fries. I just don't know that it's enough to get him over the hump to hear his name called. I think he'll be a priority free agent for somebody and certainly can catch on and maybe get uh, get into a practice squad or something like that. Uh, but it's uh, I, I have both those guys going undrafted again. I think we tend to overrate some of uh, the guys that we've seen the most of sometimes. And, and I just wanted to stay away and went conservative and just said, Hey, they'll get uh, they'll get free agent deals. Last year, we were talking about Steven and Gonzalez and, and Nick Bowers being on that bubble. And, and I think we had mixed opinions on if they'd get drafted. Neither did Dan Chisena ultimately uh, ended up carving out a full season of, of work with the Minnesota Vikings. So we'll see what, what transpires. Will Fries is going to have a professional football contract, I'd imagine, uh, you know, by dinner time Saturday as, as the undrafted guys sort through free agency opportunities. Uh, you know, versatility to play you know, several spots on the offensive line. How effectively can he do certain spots of the NFL? It's a question to be determined by his next offensive line coach, but you're not activating, you know, 10 or 12 offensive linemen on Sunday in the NFL. It is a restricted number, but my mind went to Ryan Bates too. Uh, and, and maybe Will Fries uh, can, can find some kind of fit for himself. And, and uh, Hey, Ryan, Ryan Bates made the most of it. Definitely. Yeah. He's still, no kidding. I think he's starting for the bills now. So that's, he's starting uh, or he's on, he's, he's active, and, he's active and for yeah. one of the best teams in the NFL. So, and Will Fries, by the way, uh, Mark has him going round seven, 241 overall to the Los Angeles chargers. So Mark's got Will Fries off the board. I've got Lamont Wade off the board. Uh, Sean's stepping aside on both and thinking they'll have their opportunities as free agents. Um, so there's our, our 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 coverage. We'll have it up. We'll see how it looks uh, when, when the dust settles, and we'll do a little bit of a review, add up some points, and figure out who won this latest uh, uh, tradition um, on Monday when we record our next podcast. So, Sean, um, we're we're not going to get into too much on the spring ball because we covered so much in the last episode. But when we come back here, we're going to discuss a little bit about who we miss seeing we still will see this summer uh, some unresolved things on this roster for Penn State coming out of spring camp stay with us first a word from former Nittany Lions All-American linebacker Brandon Short I'm Brandon Short All-American linebacker current member of Penn State's board and two-time captain of your Nittany Lions I'm running for re-election to Penn State's board I come from a tough background and a Penn State education changed my life I had an NFL career, earned an MBA from Columbia, and I'm now in finance. Penn Staters have a lot of pride in athletics. There are wide-ranging benefits from success in athletics, increasing academic standards, supporting 850 student-athletes, and boosting the local economy. The current athletic budget is self-funding and is independent from the university, so investments have no impact on tuition or employee salaries. Yet, over the past decade, Michigan and Ohio State have outspent Penn State by $246 million and $390 million respectively. 
Some candidates in this election want to de-emphasize athletics, making this gap wider. We must invest not for more touchdowns, but to benefit the local economy and enhance the entire university. If you agree, vote for Brandon Short, Steve Wagman, and Alvin DeLevy so together we can invest in Penn State's future. To vote, go to the link in the podcast show notes now. Thank you. All right, that was fun talking about the draft, but now we turn attention to what Penn State has on the practice field here in 2021. Uh, we got a long look the last couple of weekends as Penn State wrapped up its 15-period spring practice schedule. A couple post-Beaver Stadium podcasts thrown your way in recent weeks. If you missed either of those last Friday or the, or the Saturday before that, head back over. There's a lot of stuff coming off the field that we shared, but something that we couldn't really evaluate here, Sean, was a collection of players that are going to contribute in significant ways here when Penn State gets into its Big Ten season. Um, and I'm going to you know, run down some names here. We're not going to take too long here, but we didn't get to see Jair Brown in either of the scrimmages that we had access to. He's an important player that could determine a lot for this defense, how capable he is. Of, of competing for that starting role and maybe flourishing in a starting role alongside Jaquan Brisker. I don't know how much he was absent. We got him for, for a call the week before that first scrimmage. So I'd imagine uh, that wouldn't have happened if he was sidelined. He was a pleasure to speak with. Very, very motivated. You know the backstory a little bit. Didn't have any opportunities at the FBS level coming out of high school. Lackawanna. Now here he is. Jonathan Sutherland would be the man who would seem to benefit most at safety from not having Brown involved. And then Tyler Rudolph, who we referenced last time as a guy whose stock is up in that defensive secondary. You know, th there's a path towards some playing time there for him as well. And Keaton Ellis as well, who moved over yes. late in uh, late in spring ball and was able to, uh, I think, start the last scrimmage that we were able to see. Yeah, it's a shame. I wanted to see Brown, how he would sort of react and how he would handle being in a first-team role. Uh, unfortunately, didn't get to see that. And then we didn't get to see Jaquan Brisker in the second scrimmage. So that safety position that we said is going to be talked about and going to be discussed all the way up through camp, nothing's changing there. So, I mean, we're going to be discussing this one all the way through August, maybe in, even into September, but heard some really good things about Jair Brown early in camp. And then of course, didn't get to see him in the latter portion of the, the, uh, the scrimmages that were open to us. So I agree with you. I think he's probably my number one guy that I was looking forward to see. And then we did not, uh, did not get a chance to get, to get in action. One guy that, that probably wasn't mentioned a lot because he, when he wasn't on the field, but, but we didn't get to see him is Joey Porter Jr. Um, was not was not active uh, this spring at the at full capacity and, and was not really involved in any kind of drill work that we saw in Beaver Stadium. There were guys who did some drill work, then sat out of the scrimmage. We didn't see Porter do anything, kind of just followed around that cornerback group. But at a position spot, Sean, where you've got one guy moving a wide receiver, one guy moving a safety, uh, a shiny new SEC transfer who's playing well, and, and of course, the, the, this heralded freshman in Kaylin King, all of a sudden that storyline that Joey Porter Jr. wasn't playing much this spring kind of fell down that that list at cornerback. He's a guy that came out of last year, you, you think in, in terms of long-term pro stock at the cornerback position, Joey Porter checks off a lot of boxes. Well, I still think he's the starter there um, opposite Tariq Castro Fields, who we also didn't see in those last two scrimmages, but obviously he was uh, active. I believe he won one of the defensive player of spring awards, whatever those are worth. Um, so I, I not really surprised um, where they, where they're at coming out of that, especially at corner. They're so deep and they've got a lot of talent and they were able to move some guys around because of it. Um, I feel like you feel pretty good about that too deep right now. Um, Porter did not practice at all this spring. I mean, this is one that was that we knew from the outset that he wasn't going to be around. So um, you've got numbers and, and because of that, other guys were able to step up and, and make some things happen in spring ball and guys like King and Dixon made the most of it. When Luketa, when Jesse Luketa first showed up uh, on the practice field, Mark Brennan was there for, for day one of, of spring practices, shooting some shots. Um, he was in a sling uh, in his arm by the end of the spring practice period. Uh, he was in full uniform, no sling on the sideline, however, in Beaver Stadium. Um, and then coming off of that final practice, James Franklin throws it out there in a public setting that they are exploring position switch, position transition uh, for Jesse Luketa. Did not give us any specifics on what that means. We've been pegging Luketa as battling for that mic job with uh, Ellis Brooks, two guys who have junior status, uh, with Curtis Jacobs at the SAM. And you've got Brandon Smith moving over to the Will, which was where Jesse Luketa was last year following Micah Parsons' abrupt departure. So 
Lucchetta, we didn't see him. And now I'm additionally curious because not only was, you know, the competition missing a little bit that we hope to see out there and some, and some, you know, full contact scrimmage action. But we, now I'm curious, like, where else may we see Jesse Lucchetta line it up? And I don't think we'll have that answer for, for a little while, probably. Well, I think it's obvious that he's going to overtake Micah's role of being the kick returner that we talk about and never see. So that, Nailed that's it. kind of where he fits <laughs> in the best. Uh, yeah, D-End is the one that jumps out to me. And I, I'm just curious if we've talked up Tyler Elsden over the last couple of weeks after seeing him in the scrimmage. Do they feel good enough about Tyler Elsden being the second Mike with uh, with Ellis Brooks there um, that they, they feel they can move Jesse Lucetta. So that's, that's the big question that I have. Um, how effective can he be? I, I, I mean, it's, it's a different set of skills. It's a different thing. Uh, it's a different approach. Um, but we'll, we'll see if that's the case come fall. This is not something that's new. This was something that was rumored uh, in the, the off season between 2019 and 2020. Um, but obviously the numbers at linebacker being what they are, especially with Micah not being around uh, lended, Lucetta to going back to linebacker, uh, never been the fastest guy in a straight line. And I think that that's something that, you know, you could probably hide a little bit at, at defensive end. Um, he's got some bursts to him. He's, he's strong. And, and I'm wondering uh, just from looking at him since he got here, if he's kind of holding back some of that, that nature weight, you know, that uh, he could be probably be bigger than he is. Um, he's a really big linebacker to start, but it could probably even be like we talked about with Zariah Fisher could, could even be one of those guys that, you know, grows into a defensive end and it's just, just, just no stopping it. Yeah. I mean, don't you think uh, that, that if Jesse Duqueta was, was a dedicated defensive end and that was a the transition they, they went all in on, like he's going to be bigger than Nick Tarburn is right now. Those are both, those were both big bodied linebackers, but I feel like Luketta still has a larger frame at the end of the day where, where he would actually be more of a formidable, formidable physical presence. Um, and, and, that's, and those guys, that's were, what I would say, yeah, those guys were comparable as athletes coming in. I mean, they mm-hmm. both kind of had the same, you know, uh, the same type of numbers and they were four, nine guys coming in for a high four, eight guys coming in. So they look like they ran, ran well on tape, but you get them out there and you, and you run them in a straight line and it's not exactly, you're not running anybody down from behind. And that's some of that stuff has shown up with Jesse Lucetta. So, I mean, it's not, I don't think that's any breaking news or anything like that. So uh, I'm interested to see, maybe that's the next step. We had often talked about Tarburton as a defensive tackle, but I think he's found his home at defensive end. And given what they have on the roster, given what they have on that depth chart, they certainly need, uh, need defensive ends at that point, at that part. We've spent a lot of time talking about Noah Kane. You and I are both on the same page thinking that that a healthy Noah Kane is is the guy who's going to probably get the most opportunities out of this backfield. The anticipation there, Jaywan Slater called him a running back that you can go win a Big Ten championship with as a central part of your offense. And um, he was the guy who, who did the drills uh, pre-scrimmage, then did not get in the scrimmage action. That was the case on, on last time we saw this team last Friday. Um, I think they approached it right. I didn't think we'd see him in any scrimmage action. And actually, James Franklin said they were probably a little bit ahead of schedule in being able to work him into some action over the course of April when he wasn't available at all coming out of, of, of offseason um, winter works with, with with rehabilitation and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we probably don't need to go down that road. But on the offensive line, Sean, Des Holmes, Landon Tengwall, Nate Bruce, all MIA, both times in spring action. I didn't see Tengwall or Bruce actually in uniform down there on, on that Friday appearance. And then Des Holmes was kind of around the guys with his shoulder pads, but was clear that he wasn't going to be involved. And to me, the, Tangwall and Holmes specifically, those are two guys I really wanted to see how they'd factor in for two deep roles or, or you know, and, and, and on Holmes then that opened the door for Salim Wormley to get a lot of, of run at left guard with the first team unit. Yeah, just a tough break for for Des Holmes. I mean, you wait all that time and obviously he's been around for a while, doesn't have a ton of game experience, but he's been a a rotational piece the last couple of years, a depth piece the last couple of years and gets his chance to step into the starting lineup. And all of a sudden he's out of the starting lineup because of injury. So that's just a, that's a tough break. Um, I mean, it's just, I I just can't imagine just waiting around all that time for your shot, your shot comes and then you can't do anything about it because you're hurt. That's, that's, that's a tough one to swallow, especially with Eric Wilson coming in at the end of May. That's a guy that's going to, compete right away for that left guard spot. And I think that's very interesting dynamic right there. So uh, I feel bad for Des because he's, he's put in that work and he's really done some nice things over the last couple of years, but at the same time, you got to be healthy. You got to be able to, uh, to put on the pads if you want to step onto that field. And and that's such an unfortunate break for him. And these guys are all, 
all dealing with different injuries and at different phases of their recovery. And if there was a game played that Friday night in Beaver Stadium instead of a scrimmage in spring ball, you would have seen more involvement. But that's where we are on the calendar. So a little bit of caution there and reading too much of this. And, and what we have gathered about some of these instances is they are something that will not be any kind of lingering issues in the summer, not anticipated to be that. Um, and you saw a guy like Luketa sling on versus sling off and Kane not playing at all versus doing drills before a game. We saw real-time progress during this six-week stretch, um, and, and both those guys, among others, will be back on the field. Sean, 10 scholarship players still set to arrive this summer. We we had a chance to assess the team a bit here in the spring, but you got to remember a bit of an incomplete package because you're getting Eric Wilson, and we think he's going to factor in at that guard spot, as you just referenced. Then this freshman group, there's nine of them. Guys who are coming in um, you know, five months after the rest of this class – capabilities in that wide receiver. Uh, I'm just kind of looking down this list. I don't see the anticipation for impact guys, you know, getting to campus in June, getting on the field in August and having your first game at Wisconsin on the September 4th. That's not a lot of time for guys to work their way into the rotation. The exception to me is probably at wide receiver, Liam Clifford, Trey Wallace, Lonnie White coming in there. Um, and then running down the list for you here, and you take it wherever you want. Khalil Dinkins at tight end, safety Jalen Reed, safety Zachy Wheatley, linebacker Jamari Budden, defensive end Devon Townley, who was the last addition here, and then kicker Sanders Sahadak. Don't see a ton of instant impact, like you like you mentioned. Receiver, maybe uh, you know, depending on Lonnie White's status, is Liam Clifford ready to to get into the mix right now? Um, so maybe you could make an argument there. Um, you know, typically if you're bringing in a kicker, he's going to compete right away. But given what Penn State has on the roster, I don't see that uh, being a spot where they make a change this year. Townley's a long-term uh, project. Budden, probably a long-term project at linebacker. The safeties, uh, is Jalen Reed a safety? Is he a, a Sam eventually? It's hard to say. Zaki Wheatley's probably the most interesting one to me because of what he brings at, you know, with his, with his length and with uh, his abilities back there, but he hasn't played a ton of football in the last two years. So I think, I, I don't know that he's going to come in and contribute right away from what we've seen from, from Rudolph and Jennings and those guys that have come in with similar profiles. It probably will take a while for him to, to get on the field, uh, but they like him a lot in that building. Khalil Dinkins, the numbers favorite um, I'll, I'll, and his athleticism is, is certainly as such where he's got a pretty high floor in terms of stepping on, stepping in, but I don't see him jumping any of the, the tight ends in front of him. Um, and yeah, that should be about it. Eric Wilson, as we mentioned before, is going to compete from day one uh, for that guard job. And I think that that's uh, certainly a key piece, especially with, with not having homes this spring, it's a key piece that they're going to have to uh, figure out moving forward. It certainly feels like there's Wilson at one level. You got maybe some wide receiver impact at the next, and then there's kind of everybody else and, and what they're going to factor in their first few months on campus. Khalil Dinkins, not the not the greatest position right now to come barging in as a, as a freshman in the summer and say, I'm here and I'm ready to play. Uh, we've talked a lot about what's ahead of him in that tight end room. And linebacker, though, you never know. Hey. Oh, already. All right. <laughs> the, the old, uh, the old move into the dorm and then move over to the other side of the ball. I've seen that play out in college football. Um, <laughs> Sean, when you look at this group, um, these are the names we know now, 10 scholarship players adding to this roster before we actually see this team back in pads. There's a lot of folks wondering, Hey, spring ball is wrapping up. Where's this transfer portal wave? Is Penn state going to be a big part of it? Franklin has left the door open, as you'd expect them to do. What's your read right now as we close out April about what May could mean or maybe won't mean for Penn State when they look at the transfer options? Well, going to look at quarterback. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Whether they find the right guy or not, I, it's hard to say because you're not sure what the market's going to look like and which schools are still actively looking for a starter, looking for a depth guy, which guy's going to the portal um, as backups from one school to be a backup in another school. That's a very tough uh, line to walk right there. So quarterback's obviously going to be um, in the mix right at, at that. Receiver is not out of the woods yet. I, I know that they've you know tinkered around with some guys that have been in the portal there looking to add some speed. Maybe a, a guy that could could play receiver could also return kicks, something like that. Just any, any way that they can get faster there. I think that, you know, Dotson, John, excuse me, Dotson and Washington. Um, and some of those guys are, are fast. Don't get me wrong, but nobody's going to run that four, three or anything like that. So I think that receiver is probably an underrated one when you're talking about portal uh, possibilities, of course, on the offensive line, anytime that you can find a guy that, and, and this is probably similar at defensive tackle when they offered the kid from uh, Illinois state, 
who has since committed to Arkansas. Um, you you want to find big bodies that can move big athletic bodies. That's that's nothing new in college football. So that's not necessarily a product of where they stand in the room. But if you can add somebody like that that you can think can play right away, you're gonna you're gonna do it. And they have a couple of spots where they have they've got some wiggle room to do so. Still would like to see them add maybe a younger defensive end guy that's a redshirt freshman, sophomore type guy that's maybe got a little bit of experience, but still has some some growing to do and maybe hasn't broken through at his current school. And then safety. Um, I don't think there's any doubt there that, uh, you know, they're still looking and and that that could be something something that they maybe press harder for coming out of spring. Anthony Poindexter's, Poindexter has had a chance to watch these guys and maybe they know where they stand now a little bit better coming out of spring. So I think that they're going to take uh, keep an eye on a number of different positions whether that comes to fruition or not, it's hard to say. You're wondering what the market's going to be in at every position right now because you've got guys leaving and uh, uh, that were likely backups or beaten out for a job. We're just not fitting into the equation to prior school. So are you trading backups for backups? And when your own guys leave, it's hard to say right now. Um, so the the market will dictate a lot of that. But I think that there are still positions where they're looking because that there's a roster that does have some holes talent wise, and and you'd like to maybe patch those up as quickly as possible. Well said, and a lot to sort through. And there's been a lot of discussions on our VIP board at Lions 24-7, along with uh, the latest recruiting updates. I'm going to remind folks now we got a draft promo going on at, in the 24-7 Sports Network, and that applies to our Penn State coverage uh, beginning Thursday, April 29th through May 3rd, 50% off annual VIP membership here. And it's an upgradable membership uh, with Lions 24-7. So you can get in on the VIP conversations. If there's stuff going on behind the scenes with the transfer portal, with the recruiting efforts, you're going to hear about it first, well ahead uh, on the message boards than you will on the podcast. And a lot of it, and I mean a lot, doesn't actually make it here to the podcast. So there's our pitch for this episode. And Sean, our uh, our plea for uh, for mailbag questions has kind of paid off. We've got a nice little uptick in the last few days and we can jump into one here. Uh, five-star mailbag on Apple Podcasts. Leave your five-star rating and review and throw us your question regarding Penn State football or recruiting. Um, and this one I think is going to land very timely for you, Mr. Fitz. For a while, there seemed to be a lot of momentum in the 2022 recruiting class but Penn, for Penn State, but it seems to have faded. I know there are plenty of factors like the extended recruiting dead period, but what's next? Do you expect another commitment wave after those large official visit weekends? Well, I, I will. <laughs> how do I put this? It's it wasn't really the momentum that that really was coming out. I mean, of course, you've got a number of guys on board already in the 2022 class, but you've kind of hit phases of that that cycle where you had guys committing early, then you had just a, a short wave after the season. Right now, we're just in a down period. There's, there's. If you look on 24-7 sports, I mean, you're thinking maybe one, two commitments a day, um, which is really not that many, and and not a ton of them are two big-time schools. Um, that's kind of guys just waiting it out because when you're recruiting at a level like Penn State is recruiting right now, you've got guys that have other options, that have other official visits they want to take in June. So this lull is not a surprise at all. Um, I do think that they might get a little bit of momentum here. Malik McNeil is a guy that we look to. The offensive lineman originally from the Bronx now plays in Massachusetts um, is, is one of those rare guys that said, Hey, I might not make it to official visits. I think I want to maybe make a decision beforehand. And that's something that we could be looking for, you know, in the, in the near future. So I, I don't think it's, it's as much about the lull in, in momentum. I think if you look all over the, the country, that's going to be the case. Um, but a lot of these guys just waiting it out for June right now. Now and 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 I, I think rightfully so. I mean, you're going to get a chance to check out these schools for the first time, get in touch with these staffs, and and actually spend some time person to person with them. And I think that's probably the right decision is to wait it out and see what you're going. I do see, I, I think this uh, question alluded to it. I do see a wave after June because at the end of June, um, they go into the dead period again for about a month. Um, and that could be a situation where a guy like Nick Singleton, who's taking five officials in June. Okay. I've got the information that I need. Now all of a sudden turn around, you know, around the 4th of July, somewhere around there, you may, you might make a decision. So I think that that's probably what you're looking for. And on, I guess, playing off of that, you've got guys that maybe you feel good about that are coming in, say, deny Dennis Sutton's coming in um, June 11th. 
I don't think he makes a decision that weekend because he has other visits scheduled because he wants to check it out. And I all, again, I think that's the right call. I think it just makes sense for these guys to, to who have waited this long to uh, hold off on their decision and visit schools that they need to maximize that opportunity in June. That first week of July has become a very popular commitment spree time for college football recruiting because it comes off of that early signing period the last couple of years. Now you factor in, Sean, that you're packing in, what, 15 months worth of recruiting visits and recruiting experience. You're trying to get that all done in June for some of these guys who have, you know, every single weekend is, is a trip here, a trip there. You'd imagine they're going to come out of that and and feel like they're ready. And, and, and so we'll see, we'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, a name to know short term, but July, uh, early July, all of June going to be a big time for building out classes across college football. Um, Sean, I think that's going to do it for us on this episode, unless you have anything to add the draft, the prospects, the players on this current roster, we were kind of all over the place. Well, we missed a Teddy Bridgewater trade, but that's kind of par for the course this time. What of happened? Year, so. Oh, he went to the Broncos. So uh, we will see. But that does not take. So that firms of- up the Micah Parsons pick. Bam. There you go. Perfect. You nailed it. So um, yeah. But by the way, NFL. I want. I want to ask you this. Sean Lee retired. Um, clearly, before my time, I know he's a guy that you watched a lot. Uh, any thoughts on on him hanging him up? My first thought when I think of Sean Lee is it was like two years into his pro career and I walk into the deli downtown and he's there eating with um, family or something like that. And um, waiting for the bathroom there, he comes up and starts talking to me. I'm like, there's no reason you should be talking to me. And and I'm only a couple of years older than Sean and uh, was kind of on the fringe of, of covering him at that point. But, oh my gosh, what, what a nice guy. What an incredible representative for the university, for the football program, everything like that. Just, I think, I think of that all the way you, you hear the, the cliches, first-class individual, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Sean Lee absolutely is that, was that, and I can't wait for the speculation about him being the next linebackers coach at Penn State. As you said, maybe LeVar Arrington's off the hook. Maybe maybe Sean Lee will be the new target uh, every time, every offseason for that position. And, and you, everything you hear about Lee, by the way, is potential future head football coach. We'll see how long he wants to enjoy some retirement, but it sounds like a guy who's not going to be away from the field for very long. I, I, you know what, I can buy into to Lee. I, I have a tough time buying into the LeVar stuff. And I know that, you know, co- players have started to transition more and more into coaches, uh, coaching roles like that without experience. Um, but I could see Sean Lee just based on what he's been able to do based on his personality, things like that. I could see him definitely being a coach. And, and honestly, I would be surprised if Dallas let him get away. So that's the, the other thing to take into account here is, yeah, you you'd probably love to have him at Penn state eventually, but uh, I, he might have a, a, slightly uh, sharper trajectory when it comes to being a, a position coach. And by the way, Mark Brennan had Micah Parsons going to Dallas and, and giving them another Penn State linebacker very quickly. We'll see how the draft shakes out. You can find our coverage throughout the weekend, uh, beginning with the Thursday first round picks up on Lions 24-7. We'll be back with another episode early next week to break down the results, get into a little more conversation on Penn State coming out of spring ball and, and getting into the summer. Um, in the meantime, wishing you all well. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.